Hey, good to see you this morning. Glad you're here. Ladies, that was beautiful. Thank you so much for that. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Philippians, if you would. Paul's letter to the Philippian church and uh, chapter number four and uh, is where we're going to be today. Philippians uh, chapter number four. I know your, your pastors preach through this uh, book before, and so I told him to send me his message, and that's what I'm going to... No, I'm just kidding. And uh, this is not his, this is mine. And, um, but uh, Philippians chapter number four uh, today. And uh, so good to be back with you, and uh, what a joy. Uh, already, can you believe we're already at the end of January? And uh, it is not... Guys, there's a little bit of reverb back up here, a little bit... And uh, it's hard to believe that January's come and gone. And uh, we are, thank you for, many of you said coming in, you've been praying for us. Thank you. We, we still don't know where God's leading. We still don't know what God's doing. And uh, all we know is that today I am in Williamstown, New Jersey. That is all I know. And uh, so uh, keep praying and uh, we're praying for the Lord's direction and discernment uh, for that. So Philippians chapter number four. And uh, I, wanna, I just want to ask you this morning before we get started, uh, you know, you think about being in a new year and we're in the fourth Sunday and, and most of us probably came into a new year with aspirations. Uh, we came in with thinking, hey, this is going to be the year. We're going to make some changes. And, uh, and you were all excited. And probably by now, about the fourth week, you may be hitting a wall. Uh, you may be already at discouragement. Uh, you may be already at feeling defeated. Uh, because, you know, that diet hasn't panned out uh, or, uh, or your Bible reading has, schedule hasn't gone as planned uh, or maybe something's come up in your life this morning, uh, this past month. So here's what I want to do. I just want you to bow your heads with me just for a moment. And uh, we're going to make our prayer before we read our scripture. But here's what I, I want to ask you a question. And no one's looking around. If you're new today, uh, don't feel like you have to do anything. You can just... Uh, sit there. And, uh, but if you'd like to, you say, how many of you would be willing to say, hey, pastor, uh, before we get started, uh, this year for me has not gone as planned already. It's just not started out like I hoped it would. It's already, I've already hit some walls. I've already hit some struggles. And, you know, right now today, I just really need the Lord to speak something into my, I need something from Jesus today. Would you just slip your hand up? Just slip your hand up high. I'm going to pray for you right now as we launch into this sermon this morning. And ask God just to work in your life. Father, you see the hands. Uh, you see those maybe that are maybe a little shy to raise a hand in church. And that's okay. But Lord, we reach our hands out to you. And we just ask you this morning that you would meet with us right here in this moment of time on this Sunday in January. Lord, we, some are saying that the year has not started out like they'd hoped. And they've hit some walls. They've hit some barriers, they've hit some challenges, some struggles, and maybe even some discouragement. And so, Lord, I just ask you, uh, Lord, not because of me, but because of Jesus, that you would just minister to them today, that you'd come and meet them right where they're sitting. Lord, that the Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God would do His work in their life and give them exactly what they need today. And we'll thank you for it, Jesus. We thank you for Pastor Idell. We pray for him as he's in Las Vegas. And uh, Lord, we just pray, God, that you would encourage him, that you would strengthen him, that you'd bless him. And uh, thank you for the opportunity to fill his space today in his church. And Lord, we're just thankful for the opportunity. And we love you, Jesus. And all God's people said, 
Amen. Philippians chapter 4, and some of you, if you're familiar with the Bible, uh, are familiar with this passage. And if you're not familiar, that's okay as well, and we'll make you familiar today, but hopefully before you leave. Uh, but today I want to speak on this subject, rejoice no matter what. Rejoice no matter what. Look at Philippians 4 verse 1. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and my crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech you, Odeus, and beseech you, Syntyche, that ye be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other uh, uh, other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Verse 4, read this with me out loud if you would. Ready, begin. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice no matter what. You know, we typically use uh, this phrase uh, that I'm about to give to you to express something and we typically some, say something like this, life's not fair. You ever said that before? Uh, I came to realize a few years ago, that is a very true statement. Life is not fair. Matter of fact, I came to another realization as well. God's not fair. You ever thought about that? God is not fair. God is just and God is right. Life's not fair. And the reason we base many times saying that phrase, life is not fair, is typically because we're looking to find happiness in life. To find happiness in life. And it's interesting to know that uh, happiness is not what we should be looking for. Guys, if you'll put that that next uh, shot on the screen, uh, John MacArthur described happiness this way. Happiness is an attitude of satisfaction or delight based upon some present circumstance. Happiness is related to happenings. Happiness is related to happenstance. Happiness is related to hap, which is a word that basically conveys an idea of chance. See, we hope to be happy. We, we look to the circumstances. We try to work to get our circumstances in such a way that make us feel happy. Now, the whole idea of this description here of happiness means basically happiness might happen and happiness might not happen. Even in America... We are programmed to pursue happiness. Our own constitution says these words. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, and that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and say it, church, the pursuit of happiness. See, even our own constitution sets up for us to pursue after, to seek after, to try to find happiness. I wonder if you could do this with me real quick on, on your bulletin this morning. Write, write just one word. What is something that you think can bring you happiness in 2020? 
Write down something you think, man, if this happened, like pastor being in Las Vegas, maybe winning the lottery out there, the slots. No, that's not why he went out there. But I had to get that in because he didn't tell me he was going to Las Vegas. So I know this is being recorded. So he'll watch it. Hi, Pastor. No. But no, it could be, what, what is it that you think that would make you happy in 2020? And a matter of fact, it probably wouldn't be hard for us to name some things like good health or, uh, you know, that, that new car, that, that new Tesla. Amen. <laughs> uh, the, the new job position or, or maybe, you know, if, if that bill got paid off or, or that, that child would do better in school or that, that son or daughter would finally graduate college, you know, whatever it may be, the truth is, is that we have a habit of looking to circumstances and we have a habit of looking to things to bring us happiness. But happiness may or may not happen because happiness is based on the happenings in our lives. But here's what I want to declare to you this morning. What if I was to tell you today, and guys, you can flip to the next, the next slide, that God designed life your life and my life, to personally possess and experience something enormously better than happiness. Would you want that? I know I would want it. I want it, would, I want it to be what I would want to seek after and go after. Now Paul, here in what we just read, is writing to a local church just like Open Bible Baptist. And this local church was the church at Philippi. And it was located like we're located in South Jersey. They were located in an area called Macedonia. Now we assume that this church at Philippi was somewhere between 7 to 10 years old. And Paul's writing a letter back to them. Paul is in prison. He's writing a prison epistle, as we call it, back to this church to encourage them. And as you read through the whole letter, you find out very quickly, Paul loves this church. They are a beloved church to them, to him. And, and he's writing back to encourage them and to help them and to, to lift them up. And so here's what I want to do this morning. This morning, I want to give you a theology of rejoicing. And then if you love me, you'll be back tonight. And I'll give you the practice of rejoicing. But in order for us to get to the ability to practice rejoicing, we have to get through the theology, the understanding of rejoicing. And so this morning, that's what I want to do, is just set a, kind of set a foundation of the theology of rejoicing. So, uh, really, my first point is my biggest point, and it's simply this uh, the context of the instruction. The context of the instruction. I have to give you some background of what's happening, some things about this church, so you can understand why is Paul telling them to rejoice. Now, the first thing I want you to know about the context of this instruction that Paul gives is I want you to know some things about the city. Now, the city of Philippi was a very well-known city because early in its history, 
it, uh, it was discovered gold and silver mines in that area. And so for years, people would flock to this area to uh, mine the gold and the silver. And so you can imagine it became wealthy very quickly. And as the Roman Empire began to take hold and overcome the world, it was obvious that they were going to take over this area of Macedonia, especially this city of uh, Philippi. It became a very commercial uh, place in the ancient world. It was a great trade center. It was strategically located because it went the, the roads that went from the west to the east went straight through Philippi. So every uh, traveler and every tourist and anyone who wanted to go from the, the, the west to the east and the east to the west had to come through Philippi. It would be like when you and I fly, everybody goes through Atlanta. It's just everybody does it. You just, that's how you get anywhere. You had to go through this city. It, was, it quickly became a Roman colony and at the time of Paul, uh, it was under Roman control and, and Roman rule and it was a place, it had uh, significant military significance in it and, uh, and they were a part of what is called the Pax Romana or the Roman peace. They say that uh, when they conquered, when Rome conquered this city, they put 300 soldiers into the city of Philippi and made it a Roman colony. And when they did that, now imagine this, imagine Williamstown having these three things. Number one, tax-free. I thought I'd get more amens than that. <laughs> because it became a Roman colony, they became tax-free. No one had to pay taxes to Rome. Wouldn't that be wonderful? No taxes to Williamstown, no taxes to Jersey. Yeah, I, I, more laughing than... <laughs> but they were tax-free. The second thing, they, uh, the, the second privilege they got to enjoy was the fact that they were uh, free from the control of Rome. They could self-govern their own city. There was no Roman government involved in what they had there in Philippi. And third, they, even though they were not governed by Rome, they enjoyed all the rights and privileges of being a Roman citizen. All the laws, all the things that went along with being a Roman uh, a citizen, they got to enjoy that. So tax-free... No Roman control, government control, and yet they got to enjoy all the citizenship that was there. Now, let me ask you a question. If you were living at Philippi at this time, would you be happy? Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? They had every reason to be happy. Booming economy, booming uh, uh, people coming and going all the time. Trade is high, selling is high, business is high. I don't have to pay taxes. I'm not under Roman control. I get all the rights of being a Roman citizen. This is a great place to live. And this, watch this, this is where Paul walks into. This is the city that Paul walks into in Acts chapter 16. So you see the city of Philippi. Now look at the preacher. In Acts 16 and Paul's second missionary journey, which included Timothy, Silas, and Dr. Luke. 
come into this region, this Roman-controlled area, this city of Philippi. Now, if you're unfamiliar with Paul, here's what Paul always did. Whenever he went into a new city, he always would find the Jewish synagogue. But coming to Philippi was a problem because there was no Jewish synagogue there. So what happens? Where do we find Paul? Paul comes up on a woman's Bible study out in the woods. These women are meeting. Uh, This lady by the name of Lydia is there. She's leading this Bible study. Not because she was a believer of Jesus. She uh, wanted to know the true God. and, And so she was a businesswoman. The Bible says a seller of purple. She was an entrepreneur. She was making money. She got some ladies together. They were doing, uh, uh, having prayer in, uh, by, the, by the river there. Paul walks up, gives the gospel, and guess what? They get saved. Then he heads into the city with Lydia. Lydia says, hey, you can stay with us. And as they're basing their ministry out of Lydia's house, a demon-possessed woman begins to follow Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke around the city. And she's literally yelling and screaming as they walk through the towns of the city. And Paul, I can imagine, Paul's just had enough. And he turns around and tells her to hush and commands the demon to leave her. And guess what happens to her? She becomes a believer. Now, the men that owned this young girl who was making them money selling idols and things got upset, reported them to the Roman soldiers. The Roman soldiers, who by the way, their number one job was to maintain peace. And if peace was not happening, then the Roman government would come in and it would get ugly. So what do they do? They throw the guys into jail. And the Bible says in Acts 16 at midnight that Paul and Silas began to pray and rejoice. And at midnight, the doors flew open, the chains fell off, and they could walk out of the prison. But the Roman jailer, when he noticed what was happening, he thought they were already gone. He's a dead man. So he pulled out his sword and went to fall on the sword to kill himself. And Paul yells out, Stop! Don't! Everyone is here. And the jailer comes running in with a light, and all the prisoners are there. Paul and Silas and all of them. And that jailer takes him out, takes Paul and Silas out, takes him to his house, and says, What in the world happened? And Paul gives him the gospel, and the Bible says the jailer and all his household became believers. What did you just see? What did we just see? We saw the beginning of the church at Philippi. Some ladies who were entrepreneurs, a demon-possessed girl who was abused by her owners, and a Roman citizen, a Roman jailer, a government official in his household get saved. That's the beginning of this church. Now that brings me to the last context I want to share with you. And it is the context of what happened when Paul left this church. Would you hold your place in Philippians and turn with me to 2 Corinthians if you would. Turn backwards to 2 Corinthians chapter number 8. Paul left here. He went on in his journey. 
And like any good church, they begin to grow. They begin to add people to the church and people begin to become followers of Jesus. And the word spreads and, and uh, this people, the Bible calls them the, the people of the way. The, these Christians begin to grow in number. The church begins to grow. But something happens. These people, these Christians, these followers of Jesus are no longer buying idols anymore. They're no longer uh, going to the Roman parties. They're no longer cheating and stealing from tourists. And, and because of that, something is happening. All the unbelievers of the town, all the unbelievers of the city are cutting off these Christians. They're not selling to them. They're not buying their products. They're persecuting them. You say, Pastor, how do, how do we know this? Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8. In verse 1, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of where? Isn't Philippi a church of Macedonia? Verse 2, How that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their what? Deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. What was happening? Because of their decision to follow Jesus, life didn't get easier. Life started getting harder. Life started getting tough. The Bible describes them as being in great affliction and deep poverty. Happiness is gone. Now there's really nothing to be happy about because we're poor, they're coming after us, they're persecuting us, they're, they're, they're trying us. Now what do we do? And it is in this, watch, this context of this church that Paul writes to them, Hey, church, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Now, I don't know about you, but I think if I was sitting where you were sitting and the, the pastor at Philippi gets up to read Paul's letter about, hey, I know you're in a difficult time. I know it's a struggle. I know you're poor. I know you're broke. I know you're, you don't have a job right now. I know everything has been cut off from you. But hey, rejoice in the Lord always. Can I ask you a question this morning? How would that make you feel? Maybe you would think something like this. Paul, that's easy for you to say you're not here. Paul, that's easy for you to say you're not in my situation. Paul, you don't have a sick child and you don't have, you're, we're about to lose our house and we're about to lose our horse and buggy and we're about to lose everything we know. We're going to be on the streets. We don't know where the next meal's coming from. Paul, how could you say that? And we probably would be All of us are probably in that same situation, saying those same things. But it's in this place and it's in this time that they had the freedom to pursue life, liberty, and happiness that they found themselves in great affliction and extreme poverty. Guys, would you change the slides? Look at this if you would. Here's my, my sermon in a sentence, as you know it by now. God's design for your life and my life is not to make life about pursuing happiness, but to possess 
and practice joy. That's what He desires for us. Not to pursue happiness, but to possess and practice joy. Notice what Paul said about these people. Back in 2 Corinthians 8, he says, They possessed abundance of joy, and it overflowed out of their lives. Would you like to have that kind of joy in your life? That despite what's going on around you, that your joy continues to overflow in abundance on others. That's what Paul's talking about here. Here in Philippians 4, turn back if you would, we're going to see that Paul, in Paul's letter, he reminds us and he reminds them that what they possess is what they ought to be practicing. And that you and I can rejoice no matter what in 2020. You and I can rejoice no matter what in 2020. How do we do that? Two things this morning, one thing tonight. Number one. We've got to call out the distractions to joy. You've got to call out the distractions to joy. Look back at verse number 2, if you would. I beseech Yodius and I beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my labors whose names are in the book of life. Paul has not one negative thing to say in all of this letter to this church until these two verses right here. Uh, these two names, Syntyche and uh, Eodius, were actually two women in the church. And uh, the Bible doesn't tell us what's going on. It just simply shows us that they were not getting along. There was something going on between them that they did not see eye to eye on. Excuse me. And now... Paul is calling out to them, saying, hey, knock it off. Knock it off. This is distracting from joy. This is distracting from what you should be doing in your church and in your life. And he tells them they ought to be, verse 2, that they ought to be of the same mind in the Lord. Here's what he's saying. He is requesting that the whole church help them and remind them of the joy it was to serve together with Paul in getting the gospel out. Isn't it true that distractions come our way? Isn't it true that the enemy brings things into our lives and, and puts things in front of us that distract us from the real reason why we're here? what the true purpose of the church really is, what the true purpose of your Christian life is, and we're distracted, and here's what we end up doing. We end up turning on to one another. So the problem is not the enemy. The problem is who? The person on the other side of the church. Or maybe the person up here. He's the problem. Or maybe it's that one sitting right next to you. Him or her is the problem. When the truth is, they're not the problem. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. People are not the problem. The problem is, is we give in to the distractions of the enemy. 
And whatever their fight was, whatever their disagreement was, it could have been colored carpet, it could have been paint on the walls, it could have been the temperature in the building. I'm thankful they didn't tell us what it was. Because it really doesn't matter. It's just a distraction. Do you know we get easily distracted as well? What, you know what, there, there's, there's four things, and, and, and Gary Smiley wrote, wrote about these in a book called Joy That Lasts. But Gary mentioned four things that distracts us from joy. Number one, people. People distract us from joy. Look at, look at, what, look at what they, look at, look at them, you know. Pastor always has them up in front of church. Man, it's awful quiet in here. Why do they get to sing the special? Why do they get to give announcements? Why does he get to be an usher? Why am I never at? We, we get our eyes fixed on people. And people can distract us from joy. Possessions. Ha, honey, did you see what they drove up today in church in? Man, life must be good for them. We get to looking at peop what people have. That is the fourth new outfit she's wore, wore to church in a row. Can you believe that? I can't imagine the closet she has for all those things. We, we look at possessions. And it's distract, it distracts us from joy. How about positions? People's position in life. Why does it seem like everything always goes right for them and wrong for us? Why does it seem like they never have any problems and every time they come to church, they're always talking about the good things and the blessed. They're going here, they're going there. They're going this vacation, that vacation. I haven't had a vacation in 10 years. And, and we look at their position. And it distracts us from joy. Popularity. Popularity. Pastor's always using their name in his sermon. They must be his best friend. How do I get on that list? Popularity. How about that person at work that seems to always get the promotions? Or that person at work that never gets in trouble but you do? Hey, teenager, how about that one that always seems to get all the, the perks and the benefits at school. See, these things are distractors to joy. These are the things that the enemy uses and puts in front of us to distract us from what God says He wants us to have. Let me ask you this morning, what is it that's been and continues to be a distraction in your life from joy? And here, here's my challenge. Write it down. See, here's, here's what I learned from a friend of mine a, a long time ago. You can never change what you're not aware of. And until you write something down and see it on paper, this is the thing that distracts me from joy. You'll never seek to change that. See, you end up becoming a victim instead of being a conqueror that Jesus has made us to be. 
See, Paul, what's Paul doing? Paul is calling out the distractions of joy in this church. See, we, we and, and by the way, I, I like what my friend Ed Gibson said. I can talk about Baptists because that's all what I've always been. We actually, here's what we do in church because I've been where you've been and I've been up here as well. And, and we kind of just cringe and, and we shrink up and we, we feel awkward when, when a pastor gets up and he has to deal with something public in the church. When he's not being ugly, he's not being vindictive. You know what he's doing? He's calling out the distractions to joy and saying, church, brothers, sisters, this needs to be dealt with because it is distracting you from what I want you to be. That's all Paul's doing here. Was Paul being ugly about it? No, he just said, hey, church, help me out. Sister so-and-so, sister so-and-so, they're really struggling. Would you just kind of rally around them, encourage them, remind them what it was to serve Jesus together? That's actually an encouragement, not a discouragement. Call out distractions. Number two, and this is where we're going to stop today and pick up uh, tonight. Number two. Not only do we need to call out the distractions to joy, but number two, pay attention to your present possession. Pay attention to your present possession. Now look with me in, 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 in verse 4 there, in Philippians 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Now, in, in Greek, and you, you, if you don't know Greek, don't worry about it. I don't know much. <laughs> I know enough to get me in trouble. But in, in the Greek, in verse 4, we, we call this a present active imperative. Meaning, he, if I was to express that in, in English, it would be this. Paul is, is saying here in verse 4, Hey, right now. You need to rejoice. And if you missed it, I say again, rejoice. It wasn't a suggestion. Hey, if, if you, are you feeling like rejoicing today? That's not what Paul's saying. Hey, are you in an attitude of rejoicing today? That's not what he's saying. Did you come in church today feeling like singing? No, that's not what he's saying. He's commanding. He is imperatively speaking. He's getting their attention. He's saying... Church, rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. Now, if you, if you don't get this, you're going to miss the whole message. Rejoice is an action. It's something I do. But I cannot rejoice if I do not possess joy. Did you get that? I cannot obey what God wants me to do and rejoice if I do not possess the joy of the Lord. See, there has to first be a possession before there can be a practice. So guess where we have to go back to? Do you possess the joy? Do you this morning and I this morning, do we have the joy of the Lord. Go to the next slides if you would me would, uh, for me, guys. Lexham's theological workbook defines joy. 
I looked up the definition of joy. There's, it, it, everybody's got their own definition. I like this one the best. I think it best describes what joy is. Joy is one of those things that is, is, is untangible. You, you, you can't really define it to understand it. This is the best I could find. Joy is a sense or state of gladness or elation that people experience through their personal relationship with God and through the things God brings into their lives. Isn't that good? Joy is a sense or state of gladness or elation that people experience through their personal relationship with God and through the things that God brings in to their lives. See, joy always starts from an inward reality of God and moves outward in expression. It's first an inward reality. It's got to be a possession first, and then it moves outwardly in expression. Do you know what we, the church, have done? We've tried to manufacture joy by doing expression first and then hoping it gets on the inside. See, I I grew up, and you know this, I grew up in the South. We could shout with the best of them. I mean, we, we had services that some of you that have never been down South, it would frankly scare you. And many times our church services are trying to manufacture this rejoicing, hoping at the end of the service, when I walk out the doors, maybe joy sticks on the inside. No, 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 church. You've got to have joy in first, and then it works itself out in rejoicing. Do you have the joy of the Lord today? Let me give you a few things and we'll be done. You can switch the slides, guys. The source of joy. The source of joy is God. That's where it comes from. Psalm 4 and verse 7, You have put more joy in my heart. In my heart. You put joy in my heart. Psalm 16, 11, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Where is joy? Joy is is with God, and He puts it in me. See, the the Lord is the source of joy. God is the source of joy. Number two, God is the source of joy, and joy is a gift to us from God. You're familiar with Luke chapter 2 and verse 10. When the angels came and said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good Tidings of great joy, watch this, which will be to all people. Joy is brought to us. Joy is a gift from God to us and everyone can have it. Listen, you may not be a churchgoer here today. This may be your first time, could be your last time. I hope not. You say, I I don't know anything about Christianity. Today I want you to know this, you can have the gift of joy in your life. Joy is a so, the source of joy is God. It's a gift to us from God. Number three, joy is a gift 
from God to those who believe the gospel. Would you hold your place there in Philippians and turn to John, if you would, the gospel of John. I want you to see this, John chapter 15. John 15. And look at verse 11. These are the words of Jesus, and here's what He says. John 15, 11, These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. He said, Jesus is saying, hey guys, I want my joy, my joy, I, I want you to have my joy, and I just don't want you to have a little piece of it, I want you to be full of it, full of joy. See, joy is a gift from God to those who believe the gospel, and if you're here today and you're not a believer of, of Jesus, and you're not a believer of the gospel, would you please hear me today? It is the gospel of Jesus Christ, Him dying on the cross, taking your place on that cross, paying for your sin, dying in your place, sacrificing Himself for you, so that you, in exchange, could give up that sin and replace it with His eternal life that is full of joy. You can have joy despite the problems, despite the cancer, despite the circumstances, despite the job. You can have the joy of the Lord today. And it only comes to those who have the gospel. The source of joy is God. Joy is a gift to us from God. Joy is a gift from God to those who believe the gospel. And it's made a reality through the Holy Spirit. We're not talking about feeling. We're not talking about emotion. We're not talking about something I've got to work up to try to get. No, it is a fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22 But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Romans 14.17 tells us for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. It is joy that has made a reality in my life through the working of the Holy Spirit. And, now this is where we don't like. We don't like this one. Joy becomes a reality in my response to God's Word and my obedience to it. Now some of you are believers. Some of you have trusted Christ. And you're still struggling with joy. Your struggle with joy is not because it's not there. Your struggle with joy is because you're not living in obedience. Jeremiah 15 and verse 16 tells us that your words were found and I ate them and your words became to me a joy and a delight of my heart. 1 John 1, 4 tells us, and we are writing these things that, you are, that our joy may be complete. Joy comes online through the working of the Holy Spirit as I obey His Word. As I follow Jesus, He brings joy online. Amen. And look at the last thing. And joy comes despite. Joy is present and working despite the happenings and circumstances of my life. 
James, the half-brother of Jesus, said this, Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. First Peter, one of his disciples, said this in chapter 1, verse 6, In this you rejoice, though for a little while, for a season, you're in manifold temptations. See, joy, I can have joy no matter what's going on. Guys, flip the, to the next slide and, and I'm done. Now, what I just told you, I put together in a sentence form right here. Joy comes from God as a gift to those who believe the gospel and is made a reality in our lives through the indwelling Holy Spirit as I respond to God's Word and despite the happenings going on in my life. That's joy. And listen to me, church. Until you have this, you'll never rejoice in your life. Because in order to practice rejoicing, you've got to possess joy. If you've trusted Jesus as your Savior, would you say this in your heart this morning? I already possess the gift of joy. If you are a follower and a believer of Jesus Christ, you already have joy. It's yours. It's a reality. If you're here today, you've never received the gospel of Jesus, then I want you to know that His coming, that Jesus is coming and living the perfect life that you could not live, dying the death that you should have died, was buried and rose again with eternal life, and He is ready to exchange for you today your sin and sinfulness for His perfect, eternal forgiveness. And when you, watch this, when you come to Jesus and you confess and make that exchange, He takes your sin and guilt and shame away and He replaces it with His joy, with His eternal life, with a brand new life. So the question really is this, what would you like to possess today? Happiness or joy? Happiness or joy? It's the only two choices. Which one do you want today? Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Tonight we'll look at the practice of an outward expression. But in this moment, I want to give you an opportunity to reflect and respond. And that means take a moment right where you're at and just, just reflect a moment. Think about... What is God saying to me right now? What is God speaking into my heart and mind right now about joy? Maybe you're here today and you've never been in church. You've been coming maybe for a little while. You've been visiting and you really have no Christian experience or background or church background. That's okay. You don't, you don't have to have any of that to have joy. All you need is Jesus. All you need is Jesus. And maybe you're here today and you say, I don't have Jesus. Pastor Gary, I, I, don't, I don't know what having Jesus even means. Then would you do this? Would you allow us to help you with that today? We have people down front here that would be glad to take a Bible and show you exactly what Jesus did for you, for you to have the joy of the Lord today. You can make that great exchange today.
If you're here today and you, you say, Pastor, I've been a, a Christian a long time or a short time or I've been in church a long time or a short time, none of that matters. Some of you this morning, you say, you say you're followers of Jesus and you, you have salvation, but you're not allowing joy to be brought online in your life. You're still looking for happiness. You're still looking for that kid to turn out right. You're still looking for that job. You're still looking for that paycheck. You're still looking for that house, that car, that marriage. You're looking for happenings when none of that's ever going to bring you joy. Only Jesus can bring you joy. I encourage you, believer, today, if, if you know Jesus, maybe just come and say, Lord, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Jesus, bring joy on life through your Holy Spirit in my life today. In just a moment, I'll pray and we'll stand. And when we stand, if, if God has spoken to your life, that's the moment to respond. That's the moment to respond. You do what the Spirit beckons you to do today. Father, thank you for the message. Thank you for speaking into my life. And now, Lord, we want to respond accordingly to the, in obedience to the Spirit. And if decisions need to be made today, I pray they'd make them. If someone needs to know Jesus today as their Savior, I pray would you give them the boldness and courage to step out of their place and let someone down front here help them with that. And we'll thank you, Jesus. Let's stand together.